Seven. Hi. Hello. That Hi. used to be our old catchphrase. Do you remember? Do you remember when it used to? I used to do you want you to do it properly? Yeah. Hello. Yeah, exactly. That used to be my catchphrase. Stop being so meta. I'm so... Yeah, sorry. We've received a litany of complaints that there are... A barrage. That there are too many in-jokes. And we're resting on our fat, soporific laurels. I like that we're probably one of the very few podcasts that began with our running jokes in the first episode. (laughs) Yes, literally within the first 30 seconds... The meta-ness and the uncomfortableness was there already, and we've been dis- told that we are not sticking to the non-topicy, non-topiciness enough by discussing what we want to. That's so we, right. So we need to deal with that. We need to plan ahead what not to discuss more effectively, and also fewer pedos. Hey, me, what's the topic? I don't well, know. thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. No, that, that's something that's been pointed out, though. Um, apparently, it's a new journalistic trick on the television and radio. The journalist asks a question and then answers his or her own question. She'll, so you'll say, um, today the Prime Minister was in a bit of a pickle in Downing Street. What was the issue? And then, ans- and then answers it himself. So you that's need good. to do that. Hey, John, what's the topic? I'll tell you what the topic And then you say, I'll tell you what the topic is. I haven't quite... Hey, me, what's the topic? Well, me, thanks for asking, I'll tell you. How's that? That sounds realistic. (laughs) Good. Isn't it about time we acknowledge the women in the workplace experiment should come to an end? Here, here. This is episode 178, podcast at rumdoings.com, or visit us at rumdoings on Twitter. Is that in cyberspace? <laughs> that is in cyberspace. On the information superhighway. Yes, very much so. I miss the days when everyone talked about the internet like it was a foreign country they'd never visit. The info barn. That was superb. Now everyone has just moved in to my internet. Do you take the time to realise that it is a miracle or are you just all stuffy with it now? It, it's, it's not a miracle, Nick. It's just it's just a series of tubes. I I sit down sometimes with my with my phone looking things up or connecting yes. to a website that's in Australia, and I'm happy to say that I still get that frisson of oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. I get that frisson when I meet with my ghastly friends who are all hundreds of years younger than me. Just <laughs> last night, I was sat down to dinner with a number of people uh-huh. who were talking about, and one of them said something about how. They had to Google all this stuff when they were at school. There wasn't a Google yes, when you went to school. You mean you went to the school library? That's what you mean. That's what they they must have meant. Like we they, we got the internet. Our school got the internet in ninety six, and I think I finished secondary school in ninety seven. Mm. I remember being asked up to the library to help them set it up. Yes, and I got um, a copy of my mum's new scientist. Mm-hmm. And New Scientist had a third page of a, a third of a page column mm-hmm. every week dedicated to uh, websites that it was possible to visit. Gosh, yes, and that was pretty <laughs> Just much all of them. Third of a column, third of a page column, and they were all university websites with an enormous long le- strings of letters and numbers afterward. The New Scientist reviewed my book. I should hope so. Mm-hmm. What did they give it? Seven no, out of ten? No, they said it was very good. Very Science good. out of uh, explosions. X, they gave it exponential out of E. That's good. Yeah. So uh, I um, and so the very first website that I ever visited 
was the Gillian Anderson Appreciation Society. <laughs> Etc. Laboriously typed in this university web address into the school computers and there was a picture of Gillian Anderson looking sultry. And that was all you needed. It was. I was in the school library. I was surrounded. In those days, that's all you needed. It's not like today to... where you have to have severe anal fisting. Those days, just a <laughs> nice, mild picture, a publicity shot. Gillian Anderson was all that was required. I had to save You don't even it. know you've been born. I had to make a deposit in the old spank bank for when I got home. Imagine not knowing that you'd been born. That would be a very severe and sad situation. It would be very confusing. <laughs> it would be. I mean, what would the alternative be? That you think you were still in the womb? Well, Toby doesn't know that he's born. But then Toby doesn't know anything. He has a great epistemological problem. Uh, I, I mean, does Toby know anything? He's he a bit of a thicko. He has a, uh, I mean, even taking, you know, Cartesian basics, I think therefore I am, or there is a thought. Uh, does he even have that? I don't think he does, because I think you need more to have that. Yeah, I agree. He doesn't, I mean, he, he is conscious of need, but he's not conscious of knowing he's not conscious of being conscious of me he's such rubbish he's such an idiot what a belmo the sad thing is your five-year-old daughter is in the same position no she's not she she knows that she exists no she doesn't i asked her oh right no she what's interesting is she uh we very very usefully she's made up the category of in this world or not in this world so and she asks us like she sees a baddie on tv is he in this world and we say no and then that's mm-hmm. fine. Or or, or she, he is in this world, in which case you need to worry about it. Similarly, Santa Claus was confirmed as not being in this world, and that was fine. Good. So that's all, that's all sorted out. I wonder, but Father Christmas is real, right? Yes, obviously. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, the issue with, with, with Islam is not that it's unique or uniquely terrible in any specific aspect. It's just that the... Um, Locks and balances usually there to temper the religion's excesses are not really in place or not yet in place. So it's it's as if there's a there's a whole intermeshing set of locks and balances which it doesn't have, and I think that's the problem. I, I can go through them if you'd like. I'd rather you didn't. Okay, I will. Thanks for Could asking. Could you draw this in cartoon form? <laughs> I mean, well, let, let, let's go through what you need to be to be a problematic religion these days. Okay. Um, first, I think you probably need to have, be be based on archi- on agricultural hierarchies. Um, it's interesting that when and if you look at the actual the parable of Cain and Abel, it was basically a fight between an old hunter gatherer society and an agricultural one. Yes. And it, it, once you get to agricultural hierarchies, you suddenly start having hierarchies. You know, there are those people who who own the land and those people who till the land and those people who are serfs. And then you have to start storing your um, grain and so on. And then those who own the grain stores start having privileges that those who don't own the grain stores don't have. And then it sets up a whole thing in play. And then you get the whole notion of a patriarchy in play. And that's very, um, it happens with every religion that's happened at all since, um, since the agriculture. Well, so you're arguing that farming is the root cause of all terrorism. Uh, I'm not arguing that. That's actually Jared Diamond. If you read uh, where he calls that agriculture is one of the most disastrous things to happen to human civilization. It's not. That's a, that's not my thesis. It's actually quite a. It's the common thesis. Um, 
And so, yes, you, you, um, all the Abrahamic religions obviously get that tick box because they happened on the cusp of or after the introduction of agricultural hierarchies. Then we have a problem of, was it a religion of conquest? Uh, obvious tick box. Muhammad was a warlord and the religion was designed to make conquest easy. And what's very interesting is that when you look at people who are, who are quoting the more merciful uh, passages from the Quran, the, the, the early surahs, um, that's when he was trying the, the carrot method. He got pissed off that the carrot method wasn't working, and then he introduced the stick method. And so the later surahs, which actually um, overrule the earlier surahs, are a lot more stringent. For example, often there is no compunction in religion is quoted by apologists. That's an earlier surah, uh, and that is actually overridden later on, where he said, actually, I've tried to be nice. You haven't listened. Screw you. There is compunction in religion. Um, so... Yes, it was explicitly a religion of conquest. And again, there have been plenty of religions of conquest. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's not unique in that either. But it's got those two ticks. Third tick is, does it have a problematic text? Well, we've already discussed, yes, it does have a problematic text. And there are things you can do with problematic text. Now, all of the... Uh, I don't think there are, there are very few religions that don't have problematic texts, except those who are so ancient that you can't even properly interpret them in the problematic way that you used to be able to. And if the problem with the problematic text is whether it allows you to hermeneuticize it into a neutral status. And of course, um, that comes to a, that leads to another problem we should discuss later. Then there is, were there early belligerent fractures? Because that then sets fishes or the religion as it continues and it sets up massive defensiveness of your side and so on. And of course the uh, Shia and Sunni fracture happened very, very quickly. So that's uh, another sad tick. Um, then is there a problematized prophet? And by that, I mean a prophet who isn't the deity himself, um, but there is a constant problem of having to, on the one hand, make it very clear that he isn't the deity, putting things into place to make sure he isn't the deity and he won't be idol worship. But those very taboos themselves become an effective uh, idol worship. Mm -hmm. and so can... to explain what you're talking about, they're, they're not being allowed to draw images of Muhammad. It was is is in place to prevent his becoming worshipped. Yes, um, but that concept has become idolized. Yes, and so uh, and it's a, it's of course it's an irony in that that very the very concept of not wanting him to be worshipped as a deity has led to his almost effective i i idolatrous deification mm -hmm. it's the same it's reason not why being it's not being okay to depict him has become yeah. deeply idolatrous yes and and funnily enough the the notion that um muhammad was never depicted in uh, any form of islam is also not true um, there are plenty of ancient islamic uh texts and images where he was depicted um there's one i believe where he was depicted uh throwing thunderbolts out of his hand or something like that um cool so, yeah, that's, that's a, another issue. And it, what was very interesting is, you know, I told you that I was following Muriel Gray last week. And as you might imagine, being an old 80s lefty, Muriel Gray has a lot of issues at the moment um, in dealing with the problems in France and that they've torn in, in many directions. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and she tries to say, don't call um, Islamism barbaric. After all, look at some of the uh, beautiful artwork and architecture that Islam produced. And she took her... Uh, she, she forwarded a photograph of a dome of a mosque which had lots of beautiful tessellating geometrical pic, uh, tiles and patterns. Mm -hmm. And I said, 
the irony of what you just tweeted there is seems to be lost on you because the very fact that a mosque cannot depict any human figures is a part of the issue so ironically the very thing that you were tweeting there as part of as part of the solution is also a manifestation of the problem in that there is a lack of humanity within within its um, art within its apprehension of the world because you can't depict any figure, and that's actually the same in in, prop, in proper Judaism as well. That the, you you don't you don't. Uh, Could you please ask the, whoever that is in the back? It's just Victoria. She's she's basically sorry. I'm going to. I, I, she she's come in and been walking in and out and in and out of the room and sort of commenting and muttering, and that's why I haven't really been able to do this properly. I apologise to everybody, but I mean at least um, Laura hasn't had the indecency to walk in with your mewling babe. But there you go. Well, obviously, I maintain a higher standard of wife. <laughs> you do. You see, this is the problem when your wife isn't in a workplace. So I might have to contradict the um, the, the, the the topic. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you checked whether last week Victoria was sat in the background going click 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 click? That seems to blame for the clicks as well. Um, and then, of course, they're forgivable. The... <sighs> see, I think she thinks it's funny and it's nice, but it actually just makes the podcast worse. I think you should divorce her. Can you arrange it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Done. Good. Um, then, then there. I mean, another problem is there is no tradition of successful deliteralization, and that is to do with things like um, hermeneutics, reformation, building texts upon texts. This is something that uh, Judaism actually did very well because, of course, Judaism had plenty of problematic texts, but was able to um, build Talmudic interpretations of those texts to build balances around them and to do that to to neutralize some of the the ostensibly worse aspects of it because of the early belligerent fractures and the um, problems that this caused and the defensiveness that then came to pass there's been no successful tradition of deliteralization or neutralization of the text there's just been kind of taking sides and in, in effect almost amplifying the worst aspects of the text and then a final thing that you need to be a problem is probably uh, have a massive proportion of the world population and when you go over a billion, I think that becomes a problem. So there is not one thing we've discussed here that's uh, unique to Islam at all. No, uh, no, I was going to say everything you said applies exactly. easily to Christianity and probably to Hinduism. And a lot of it to Judaism as well. The problem is, oh, and of course also proselytizing, um, but that's part of a religion of conquest as well. So when you've got, the problem is not so much that there's anything unique, but I think there's, at the moment, it ticks a unique number of those non-unique tick boxes. If you it's see what their I mean. turn. It is, but as I said before, I don't want somebody to have a turn while we're in a country, while we're in a world with nukes and aeroplanes. Can you send it? You know, if you want to send somebody back to, uh, if you want to send a civilization back to the ninth century, then at least have the decency to um, be consistent and only use ninth century tools. So you know, you can't use Uzis or AK-47s. You have to use scimitars. You have to travel across the world in galleons, and you don't get to Ooh. use nukes or chemical weapons. Sorry. Anyone, anyone who travels around the world in galleons, I'm automatically on their side. Yes, that's true. That's true. So, so taking this all into account, um, uh-huh. it, it, it makes rather a, a mockery of some of the responses. Um, there was a, 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 a terrible uh, cartoon by Joe Sacco in The Guardian 
where he basically says, ooh, um, the problem with satire is that um, it needs to punch up, not punch down. And, oh. and he says, in fact, when we draw a line, we're often crossing one too because lines on paper are a weapon and satire is meant to cut to the bone. But whose bone, what exactly is the target? And he makes a point that, you know, you can't, you mustn't and cannot ever justify using uh, or draw using victims or people lower in the hierarchy of society as part of your satire because it will never work there's never a justification for it context never matters now the great irony of this is he begins his cartoon by drawing an ape-like black man in a tree and then a, a jew with a hook nose counting his money mm-hmm. in order to make the point that um uh, in order to to to, to make the point, say, "Oh, I'm allowed to offend, right?" And then, he, with the Jew, he says, "And if you can't can take the joke now, would it have been as funny in 1933?" He asks. So, the, of course, the irony is he's totally self-imploded his argument there in a pile of paradoxes because he does draw those two yes. highly quote offensive frames there to make his point. So, yeah, Joe, you can. Do you know how I know that? You've just done it, you idiot! <laughs> you idiot! And then, and then there, then there comes uh, the notion of you must punch up and punch down, which sounds very nice and it sounds cool and and mm. kind of and egalitarian and and caring and so on. But I'm sorry to use the phrase; it begs the question because it's a massive privilege to determine those hierarchies. Yes, it's extraordinarily patronising, and there's an amazing number amount of intersectionalism because how do you? Um, how do you define it? For example, somebody attacked a satirist who was satirizing Hillary Clinton and they said, you shouldn't mark Hillary Clinton at all because as a woman, she is de facto. Oh, wow. Uh, she, is, she, she is de facto in a non-privileged position. And you think, well, one of the richest uh, and most privileged and connected women in the world. Now, uh, it, it, it seems that this intersectionalism allows one to ignore true economic inequality and power. So, for example, Hillary Clinton, Duchess of Cambridge, Robert Mugabe's wife, are we, is, is a white working class British satirist allowed to satirise them or not? Um, Only if the person doing the satirising is ranked <coughs> as less than a woman. Well, yes, exactly. Then it's punching up, so it's okay. I mean, the whole thing is just ridiculous. And, and uh, you made a point, I think, on... Um, was it on Twitter or, or on your blog where you said it's 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 very lucky that we kind of had our formative experiences with with brass eye? Yes, because I think a lot of people are a bit confused, having not gone through that sort of exactly. proper satire moment and the reaction to it as well. But then the horror in realizing that brass eye was eighteen years ago. Hmm. There's been a lot, of, a lot of satire since then. Oh yes, o- overwhelmed with it we are. <laughs> yes. It, it, yeah. It, it, and of course. People keep saying, well, how do you define satire? How do you recognize? And it's, well, you don't get in trouble. If you don't get in trouble, it wasn't satire. No, exactly. And and to an extent, if it doesn't cause offense, it wasn't satire. And yes. I prefer, you know, there is a, a horrible um, academic term called problematization, which is actually probably more useful than offensive. It wasn't such a terrible word. And what that means is it's forcing you to reconsider something which you effectively took for granted as a closed trope. Right. Uh, and so... It, the the problem with simply saying offence is it seems to just indicate a one way and very precise uh, emotional reaction. Whereas if you actually look at what a lot of the Charlie Hebdo cartoons were doing, it was precisely problematization. It kind of for, it gives you a little kick in the stomach and forces you to reevaluate. Well, what exactly about it 
is causing me to have these reactions. So mm. it becomes an almost recursive process. And I find that very useful. I find if you spent your whole life never being prodded or, in quote marks, offended, I think you'd be in quite a dangerous situation. I think you yes. constantly need to be tested and, and, and pro- probed. And I'm upset that people are so simplistic. For example, they said, well, these images are de facto racist, therefore the magazine was racist, therefore... Quote marks, although we, of course, don't, uh, we, we repudiate murder. They kind of had it coming. And you say, well, A, arguing that um, they kind of had it coming and, and you shouldn't and satire should never be anything other than authorised is a bit like saying, well, the, de- the reason we don't like the death penalty is because it doesn't work. No, that's not, the, that's not, that's not a good enough reason. You know, it's it's a utilitarian uh, it's a utilitarian thing. So even if they were publishing Der Stürmer, and they were unambiguously trying to stoke race hate, no, you still don't go and shoot them for drawing cartoons. That's the end of the matter. We we're not we're not trying. It it it, Bart, it, sh- Nick, it shouldn't Bart, be predicated. Bart, one should not predicate Bart, one's argument on this. Bart, take take your butt out of my face. But. Je, je ne suis pas Charlie. Oh, but, but, but. Of course. And the, the, here's, here's my problem. Look, there was something, there is something obviously ridiculous about, to a degree, about the whole je suis Charlie, je ne suis Charlie. He, he, okay, can I thing. just, I just want to say what was ridiculous about it. Was it? No, no, you weren't, because none of us, none of us have their balls. None of us were Charlie. No. They were infinitely braver than we are. And you and you know an irony about all these people who go shouldn't be Charlie they're a bunch of racist bastards. You know you know what the editorial meeting was about when they were being shot when they I were do not. Um, they were actually having an editorial meeting to discuss uh, basically racism and uh, and uh, and what they were going to put in some of the articles to to bring up racism in French society and so on and discussing an anti-racism conference and that kind of thing. So there's your final irony. But here's here's my problem with some of the reactions. Um, I think it's quite it, it, it's it's quite proper that it, you might not like satire and you might not like the Shirley Hebdo approach and you might feel discomforted by fine I don't mind that the point of je suis Shirley I think wasn't so much to try and say that we agree with everything and every approach that it makes but it's a bit like and this is where I was disappointed with people like Laurie Penny and other people of the left in that you don't have to agree with the minutiae this was a grand statement. And it's a bit like when a member of your family is attacked, you don't immediately say, well, actually, you know, my sister was a bit of a twat anyway. And she's, <laughs> uh, even if you think it at that point, you, you stand firm because standing firm is a useful way of showing the, the meta importance of the issue. And I think that's what should have happened in this, in this case. And the family that I'm talking about is general um, post-enlightenment civilization. And I don't think that's the, that's the moment where you start your 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 pettifogging and nitpicking. Well, it's, it's the fact that it's simply irrelevant. You're just going off topic. If my sister is a Daily Mail reading <clears throat> horrible bigot, yes, and she's murdered yes. by a knife wielding maniac, yes, she's no more or less deserving of being yes. murdered by a knife wielding maniac for having held. My sister isn't a bigot, I should stress, but were she to be. <laughs> that, that, that otherwise, it's not relevant. Her bigotry is irrelevant in the in this in the discussion. She got stabbed to death by a knife wielding maniac. 
the no. end. Yeah. You don't carry on and then qualify her behaviour. No, patterns. and what's worse, the qualification makes it even worse. And, and the people doing it are the very same people who, you know, John, that woman, she did put on makeup before she left the house. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was quite a short skirt. It was quite a short look. Look, obviously, obviously, she, she's not completely to blame for it. You know, nobody's, she wasn't, you know, she, she she didn't demand that she got raped, but, but, but... You walk out but, the house wearing that depiction of Muhammad, you're but, just asking for it, aren't you? Yeah, 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 but, but, yeah, and, and that's disappointed me, but it's disappointed me, but it's allowed me to have my little notebook of knowing who's good and who's bad. <laughs> so it's it's really flushed out the idiots. Obviously, Laurie Penny is terrible. Uh, Nick Cohen's been very good. yes. Uh, but that doesn't surprise anybody. No. Um, and uh, David Aronovich was good. Um, so yeah, they've been they've been. How's an, um, Andrew Neil been? Andrew Neil has been okay. Uh, he's he he did a little video where he said, "Yeah, we are all terrified." Basically, right. at the beginning of uh, politics is politics program or whatever, and effectively, that that was his his comment. He says, "Let's not pretend." That we're principled here. Yeah, we're all a bunch of pussies, um, which is effectively, which is effectively true. It would, I think, it would have been nice if, as I said, the all of the UK press could have had a no, uh, no, I'm Spartacus moment, uh, simply to dilute the possibility of of uh, reaction. And, and Aronovich and various other people have made this point in that. Charlie Hebdo was a target precisely because everybody else was too scared. Yes. Um, and that makes it a juicy target. If everybody had republished the cartoons at like the first sign of trouble and it just became a commonplace, then it's not actually, you know, if you've got a thousand pissers doing it, it's no longer an attractive target. It's, it's the fact that it's not so much the fact that Charlie Hebdo stepped forward, it's that everybody else stepped backwards, leaving it as the one remain yeah. a target yes and i think that's i think that's sad i'm uh, not spartacus i'm not spartacus yes exactly. everyone's sitting down one by one <laughs> just just get that spotlight over there <laughs> left with spartacus did they go what <laughs> yes anyway well, let, let's talk about something else now shall we talk about pedos <laughs> i think we ought yeah i went to a i went to a uh i went to a, a gay wedding the other day and afterwards we had a cream tea oh my goodness that's exactly how you should do a wedding we did. We and so you you thought you were being heteronormative with your cream tea wedding. One of the only mistake I made on my wedding was marrying a girl, not a boy. Yeah, that's a bit uh, outre to marry a girl these days, John. Come it's on, a little bit. It's just a bit gauche. Yeah. Oh, talking about privilege. Um, uh, <laughs> I thought I thought I'd I'd put the uh, put the cat amongst the hornet's nest. Um, uh huh. I don't think it's good enough. If you're a trans woman and you're in computing and IT and you proclaim that you should be included in just the general woman's statistics. Oh, gosh. Why would you say this? We don't need this. No, here's why. Uh... As, as a nerd, when you were growing up, uh, 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 an ostensibly male nerd growing up who wasn't comfortable in his, at that point, skin, you had effectively the privilege to do... IT and computing, nobody was going to tell you to go and play with dolls instead or that it was a silly thing to do. That was what they kind of expected you to do. Then you did your sex change and you became a woman. That's fine. 
Um, I'm glad that's fine with you. If you, but but at that stage, you can't say um, I I went through the same thing that a cis-normative woman from birth would go through in order to get a position in computing. Do you see what I mean? I do you, see you, you mean had it's an you had a nuance. I'm not sure it's an argument that needs having. No, because I'll tell you why it needs an, an argument that I think is worth having in that somebody, there were I won't mention names, but somebody who um, was a trans woman was mentioning how her experience was identical to any cis woman's experience and it was offensive to claim otherwise. And I think, no, that's not fair. Because if we are talking about privilege and hierarchy, for a number of years, you had the benefit of something that actually caused you discomfort, but ironically gave you a camouflage to get to the position that you're in at the moment. Uh, Cisnormative women didn't have that uh, youthful camouflage, if you like. So I think think that uh, that's a point I needed to make. Finally, someone's going to put those privileged trans women in their place. Well, that's the point about privilege. I mean, in a sense, and that's why when you the intersectional arguments are ridiculous, because obviously they're the most abused and unprivileged people in the world. But there are positions, uh, there are, and it's ridiculous not to suggest it. If you believe in the discussion of privilege, then while they were ostensibly male, they had male privilege. Yes, I understand your argument. You know, and if you have male privilege, you can't say it's re- that male privilege is retrospectively removed. You can't go back in time and say, well, actually, um, I'm not enjoying this. No, you were just by the dint of society allowing you to have it. And that's the point of that. Sort yeah, of I recognise your argument. My empathic side is, is screaming, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. I know. <laughs> I know. Interesting that, isn't it? There was a good programme on irony on Radio 4 this weekend, last weekend. Ironically, I didn't hear it. <laughs> See now, that's <laughs> yes, why exactly. you need to listen, young man. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was good. It was, it was archive on four, although it didn't feature any archiving, as far as I could tell. I like it when archive on four is just someone <laughs> interviewing loads of people. It has nothing to do with archives. <laughs> John, that's an irony. It is, isn't it? Yeah. And it was presented by an American satirist whose name I have forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and he spends the first half of the program playing into the Americans don't understand irony mm-hmm. a notion, mm-hmm. I think, to um, to placate the ghastly, awful people in this country mm-hmm. who so who love to so smugly walk around, oh, yes, well, Americans don't understand irony, of course. Mm. Um, and then you say to that person, if you ever hear anyone say that, your next words must be, by law, <coughs> define irony. Yes. And that they won't be if they if someone's stupid enough to say Americans don't understand it, and you're guaranteed they won't be able to explain what it is. I think they mean Americans don't understand subtext is usually what the uh, well the program. What they, what they, obviously, the program then goes on to make very clear the depth of irony in American comedy, especially as someone points out, there's quite a lot of Jews in America, mm. um, and they and you know when it comes to ironic comedy, there's one lot one 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 lot to round up and point at and say, yeah, it's like how I said round up. That was a little joke. Um, mm. Are you going to, are you offended? I feel sick. Are you going to complain to the uh, Scottish police about me? <laughs> yes. I don't want them to arrest you. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Um, yeah. The, the, so anyway, so that, that, all that aside, and they cited Larry Sanders quite a few times, which I, I, I enjoyed. I remember Larry Sanders. That I enjoyed people talking about Larry Sanders. Like, of course, everyone knows what Larry Sanders is. There was no attempt to explain what it was. People were just citing Larry Sanders. Ironically, I imagine there are plenty of Radio 4 listeners who don't know who Larry Sanders is. Again, I'm not ironic. I know. 
I know, I know you know, but I just can't not say so. <laughs> I, 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 that's ironic how literal minded that response is required to be. The one, the, what the presenter was suggesting, the difference between British and American uh, audiences en masse, mm. as a gen, as a generalization, is that Americans don't like to not understand. Yes. So there's a there's a greater sense of not wanting to be out of the joke. Yes. Um, whereas in Britain, there's a much more in joke culture, and it's much more normal to deliberately be exclusive. Well, I think that's perfectly correct. And for, to that degree, it's not so much irony, but it's things like, for example, Mornington Crescent. I don't yes. think Mornington Crescent would, I think it would cause outrage in America. <laughs> I think people, and the point is, it's not that they wouldn't get the joke. They would just feel that it was a stupid joke that had outlived its usefulness and there was really no point to it. They wouldn't derive humor from it so again it's not to do with stupidity it's to do with uh different ideas of what the job of humor is i guess yes because the, 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 the way monington crescent works as a joke is either you have the the, the the better version which is someone in the room listening who doesn't know mm. and then you can take entertainment from their confusion yes or there's the the worst version, which is the norm, which is when you listen to it and you hear it's the audience in the in, in, in the in the theatre where it's being recorded are doing this laugh, and it's the laugh of I know what's going on here, but someone else probably doesn't. The way Morton Crescent should work in that instance is, I think, what you're giving humour prizes to is the person on the panel who is most naturalistic in. Yes in maintaining that it, that it is real. And, and that's something to do with satire and all humour is it's, it's attention to the, the, the minutiae of detail, isn't it? It's the timing. Mm. It's not be, and sometimes they screw it up by just being, and you, you get annoyed by it. You say, no, that was over egging the pudding. You shouldn't have made up that ridiculous sounding rule. Um, uh, we shouldn't have been so grandiose with with saying, "Oh, that's that's um, McClinty's fourth declension rule on which which only comes into play every third even third third month when well, there's even, a blue moon." <laughs> even no. worse, what they're doing now, I heard on a recent episode, is punning. So you could they could only use stations that punned on a particular theme. No, but that doesn't work as a guess. No, exactly. Game. The whole the whole joy is just the play game played vanilla. Have, here's the greatest indictment of Barry Cryer. Okay. Is that he can't not win at a made up game. <laughs> really? He every stinking episode. Hold he on, gets John. Hold on, present. John. Hold on, John. That it's either the greatest indictment or it's the most charming thing about him. <laughs> Possibly both. Possibly both. <laughs> so what does he do? He just always wins. Every single time he always gets to Mornington. He's the one who gets to Mornington Crescent. <laughs> How old is he now? About seven hundred and twenty thousand. I think about eight he's past eight hundred. Oh really? He's like, although because Barry Cry always confuses me because he's so wretched on on things like that and yes. he's so annoying. But whenever you hear him interviewed about comedy, he's brilliant. Yes, he's very. So good. he's obviously he wrote some of the best seventies and eighties sketch comedy. He was the yes. man behind. He was the reason why things like Morecambe and Wise and the Two Ronnies and anything had any talent at all. Yeah. Was, was Barry Crime and and uh, Barry took Barry uh, Barry Cryer, Marty Feldman. These are the people the, the re, you know the real heroes of yes. that era of comedy. Um, but uh, him as a comedian himself, he's horrible and obnoxious as a commentator on the subject. And he pops up on the um, on the irony documentary as well. And everything he says is insightful and worth and worth contributing. Mm. So I find him very difficult and confusing. 
What about but Barry? Tim Brooke Taylor has no redeeming features at all, as far as I can tell. Uh, as a, I mean, as a person, he might be a delight. What about Doctor? What about Doctor Graham Garden? Doctor Graham Garden, you see, he's um, he. That I feel sad that he's ever on that program anymore. I heard him on that dreadful, you know, that David Mitchell Radio Four thing, the Unbelievable Truth. That that causes my blood pressure to go up. I know it doesn't work. It's 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 also, it's got that just a minute thing where it actually just puts you in a state of tension. It's gone. It's it's it's. I like just a minute, but I still like just a minute. But uh, the problem with the unbelievable truth is the concept itself relies on a very high level of intelligence in the in the cast and they and they can never reach it so the concept behind the show is someone has to talk on a give a short lecture on a particular subject which all has to be untrue except they have to try to smuggle five truths through in the thing and the other contestants yeah. all buzz in and try and guess at so in other words you have to if you do it properly you have have to carefully to modulate all your untruths so that the um astonishing truth is properly camouflaged and gets smuggled exactly. through and no one, no one is any good at this except for the person who came up with the idea, which is Graham Garden. Yeah. So on this week's episode, the, Graham Garden was one of the four players. And he's the only person who did a good job of it because he's witty enough to, to understand the format. The other problem, as far as I can tell, is they're given their truths. It's fairly obvious that yes, they're told what truths to say, which, again, yes. doesn't make sense. If you actually said to the person, look, you know, three weeks in advance of recording, your topic is going to be gardening. Hmm. Go off and do the research, come up with five of your own un- unlikely truths, and then you get all this time to put this thing together. Whereas it's obvious, it's just the whole thing. Oh, it just makes me so cross that the show doesn't work. It, it doesn't work, does it? And it's uh, on its like 17th series or whatever, and, and the only person I've ever heard be any good at it is Garrett Graham Garden, and no one else can get it right. Henrik Vane's in it. Who? You know, that German. The Radio oh, yes. 4 German. I like him. Yeah. He's funny. But he does the unbelievable truth. The problem is, I mean, how many times as a listener do you actually listen? And it's it it, it it's as it, it's a sore thumb obviousness of what is the truth and what I isn't. know. I'm sitting there going, "Well, that's true. That's true." And the oh! yeah, the psychology is so obvious. You just have to be able to understand how other people think, and you can easily work out which ones are true. Yes. Also, they give them too much latitude. They kind of they they get to push their buzzer after oh, yes. about yeah. five things have been said. So uh, that one in the middle there is true. The other one that's true. Oh well, okay then. I'll give you that one. Did you like that's my how um... people like Tony Hawk and Mark Steele play? Oh, Tony Hawk, his fridge, Ugh. his skateboards. How did he ever get to be him? Well, I remember as a kid used to really enjoy him on the news quiz. <laughs> But he also, he did, he was in, he did, recorded the song Stutter Rap. Yeah. He also did, um... Uh, Morris he was on, in the Majors. Who, whose line is it anyway he was off and on? I enjoyed that programme too. I imagine if I were to watch it now, I'd be very sad, but... As long yeah. as Josie Lawrence wasn't on, or Sandy Toxvig. You're such a misogynist. I am, aren't I? And you hate lesbians. Do I? Oh, because Sandy Toxvig is... I once served Sandy Toxvig in a shop... Was she rude? She wasn't. She was very nice. I was working in a shop called Silica, which uh-huh. used to be a shop that sold PCs and PC and video games in uh-huh. de- branches of Debenhams. The Silica shop, yes. Back in the nineties, and I was working there, and I sold she I sold her something. She was buying a game for her nephew or something like that. And that week, I'd just seen her on the food on food and drink. Yeah, I don't know how to play these things myself. But that's my nephew. She wasn't like that, and mm. and I said to her, she was very, and I said, oh, by the way, I saw you on Food and Drink this week, and I thought you were very funny, and she was very nice, I said, thank you, thank you. 
Oh, did I she was probably, 16. She didn't want you to say that, though, did she? But she was very... Well, I, I, I did a good job of it. I was like, oh, my gosh, she's so toxic. Oh. I just... Rather than that, I just said, like, you would to, you know, someone you know. Oh, by the way, that was really good. And I just said that. And she seemed quite pleased. And She wasn't upset by you. No, she wasn't. She, was, she seemed very pleasant. Mm. But you hated her on whose line? Oh, she was so bad on that programme. Mm. Oh, every time her or JC Lawrence is on you, oh, but you're just going to, you're just going to, oh, they just showed off those two. Who yeah. else was rubbish? Who Unlike the men, because the men, men, of course, never show oh, off, do they, Tony, I was, No, I was just going to say, the very worst of all was Tony Slattery. <laughs> is he dead now? Uh, I believe he went through some troubled times. He he, he became a gay. Did he? Mm, he's a gay now. Oh, I did not know that. He became a drug addict as well, yes. unfortunately, for him. Poor old Tony Slattery. But, of course, there was only one really, really vile participant of Whose Line Is Anyway. The audience. Oh. Right. Oh, Can Steve you think Frost. Of Steve Frost. Oh, Steve oh. Frost. He was the worst ever. Oh, goodness. Who, who did... What, 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 he did that radio program, didn't he? The worst... The most unfunny radio program ever. What was it called? I don't remember. Everything Steve Frost has ever been involved with is unfunny. I don't understand why he's he's deeply involved in the whole comedy store movement forward. Yes. And I don't understand. He must have been a drug dealer or something and it's just <laughs> useful to keep around because there's no actual comedic reason for him to be there, is there? What was the TV show that he was often pop up in? As uh, There was a TV show made... Not It wasn't... Um, uh, the Channel 4 one. Crime Watch UK. That was it. Crime he played... Watch. He played uh, pedos. <laughs> he does look a bit like one, doesn't he? In the mid-1990s, after leaving Whose Line Is It Anyway, Slattery suffered what he described as a midlife crisis triggered by excessive drinking and cocaine use, spending up to £4,000 a week on the drug, hmm. culminating in 1996 with a six-month period as a recluse, during which he did not answer his door or telephone, or open bills or wash, I just sat he said. Hmm. Eventually, one of his friends broke down the door of his flat and persuaded him to go to hospital. He was diagnosed with suffering from bipolar disorder. He discussed this period and his, subs- and his subsequent living with the disorder in a documentary made by Stephen Fry. Hmm. In 2006, Slattery claimed that he spent time living in a warehouse and throwing his furniture into the Thames. Hmm. I think that's unfair to the river. He's uh, quite, quite mad. Oh, well... Uh, in 2011, he, he, Slattery appeared in a reunion special of Whose Lines Anyway, oh along God. with Josie Lawrence. Why didn't you like Josie Lawrence? Did you like her lovely songs that she made? Exactly. Up? She was always, she was so, oh, she would do these accents and she, oh. Ugh. You don't like it when women have confidence, do you, John? And talent. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there were Do you think any... she should have gone back to the kitchen? I'm trying to think if there were any women on Whose Line who were good. I, there I were very th- few men, though. I mean, the only two people who actually any good at it were Ron Styles and, and Colin, Colin Mockery. Mm. Everyone else is pretty terrible. Mm. What about Richard oh, Branch? Oh, Caroline Quentin was quite good on Whose Line. What about Richard Branch at the piano? <laughs> With his big foppish fop. Yes, yes. I'm, had... looking, I'm looking on the Wikipedia page to see if I can find a list of regulars. We had a, we had a little joke at home. Did you? Every time Clive Anderson used to say, Richard Branch at the piano, I'd... I'd, I'd say, who? And, and my brother would say, Richard Branch. I'd say, who? Richard Branch. Oh. And that every <laughs> single time we watched Two Sliders anyway, that was done for some reason. Why? I'm not sure. Sounds like such a good... Okay, I'll tell you who was actually the worst at Who's Line of everyone okay. who ever appeared on it. Okay. Rory Bremner. <laughs> the 
problem with Rory Brenries is he's not a very good impressionist, though. Is there, there is no good impressionist, so far as I can tell. <laughs> no. John Coleshaw sounds like celebrities doing their best impression of John Coleshaw. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> so, why was Rory Bremner particularly bad? Was it because he'd try and crowbar impressions into improv, and they didn't? They don't, the two don't fit. No, especially when the impressions are so rubbish. You could do a John Major. Oh, more peas, Norma. Do you like my uh, impression? That was very good. And who's this? Oh, now then, now then, now then. <laughs> that was extraordinary. <laughs> it was. And and what about this? We are a grandmother. <laughs> amazing can you do any other famous pedos <laughs> yes i can Ooh, a monstrous carbuncle in the face of a well-loved friend <laughs> i see what you did there mm. what about <laughs> Stop can you racist. tell what it is yet <laughs> you're such a racist oh uh, yes <laughs> what were you thinking i was doing <laughs> you were making monkey noises <laughs> Maybe Rolf Harris was always just a massive racist. <laughs> well, you can't do it. Didn't you not hear a tie, tie, what was it? Let let me abos go free, sport. Let me abos go free. They're no more used to me, sport. Let me abos go free or something. In one of the timey kangaroo dance sport lyrics, which is now no longer used about the oh, abos. Nice. Yeah. I, I don't imagine he included that line when he recorded it. He did. Did he? Yes, it was his song, so... Uh, I'm sure it isn't. I'm, no, I'm sure it wasn't. It was, he did, and he, I think he later apologised for it, but yes, he, he did, and it was. I'm checking this out now as well. Oh, dear. Yeah, no, he definitely did. And what other impressions shall we give you today, John? Oh, you're right. It was written in 1957. Mm, he's old, okay. isn't he? I'm gonna t- okay, I'm going to read out whose line. This is Obviously, for Americans, this is confusing, because it's got some of the same people and some of the not... Yeah. Uh, on whose line? I'm going to read out whose line, people, and you have to say whether they were good or bad. Okay. There's no me- there's no middle ground. No. What if I what if I uh, haven't heard of them? Then I'll just say eh, heard, if I don't you've know heard of all of them. Not Josie Lawrence. Good. You're such a liar. I would. I uh, know. I, I enjoyed her singing sometimes. Good. Oh, she couldn't rhyme. Her songs never rhymed ever. <laughs> good. Next. <laughs> Rubbish. Greg Proops. Oh, you see, ah, that's a oh. tough one. No, I will say good. I will say good. I saw him live, doing stand-up live once, and he was very funny. Jim Sweeney. I'll say bad, because he didn't make an impression. Oh, I would say good. He's the one with the curly hair. Tony Slattery. Bad. Mike McShane. Good. He was very, He is still a very fat man. He is, and therefore does, good. Does lots of theatre now. Yeah. Sandy Toxvig. Good. Rubbish. She was terrible. We're not all misogynists. Good. Paul Merton. Mm. There's no hesitation. He was brilliant on Who's Line. There was a little bit too much. Oh, is it a is it a shark in a bathtub or dolphin in a bathtub stuff? But okay, I'll say. No, good. you're confusing his Channel Four program, which was also great. So there, good. Julian Clary. Bad. Hmm. Interesting. I would say good. Colin Mockery. Good. Obviously good. Yeah. Um. Um. Okay. Too many repeats. I'm uh, going just going through. Ryan Styles. Obviously good. Good. Um, I'm, I'm skipping people I've never heard of as well. Well, no, maybe I'll have heard of them, John. Okay, then, Christopher Smith. That's just a generic rubbish name. <laughs> George McGrath. Never Archie Hahn. No, you're right. These yeah, are not okay. real people. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Stephen Frost. Bad. Very bad. Uh, do you remember Chip Eston? No, I don't. He was um, an, another American who was, who was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Oh, skippity, 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 skip. This is good radio. Mm. We've gone through most of them now. This is most of the people they had. It is. Oh, and if, no, there's big, one big one. It was certainly on the original ones. John Sessions. Oh, I was going to say, if you go back to the beginning, yes, of course, the first series. The first series was. The first series had Jonathan Price on it. Good heavens. Isn't that extraordinary? And obviously, John Sessions was good. And had Stephen Fry on it as well, but I don't think Stephen Fry is very good at improv, actually. He gets a bit bashful. Yes, he gets very flustered. Mm. Mm. Um, do you remember later series where they get famous people, super crazy famous people on, and they would be like, Robin Williams would come on and do an episode, and it's just awful at it. No, but I'd imagine they would be. How much do you reckon they were paid? <laughs> Do you know, I imagine not very much at all. That's what I wonder about these things. You look sometimes and think, well, how much money have you got to be there? Because it was it was interesting um, when uh, when somebody on the Moral Maze was asked why he went into the jungle, celebrity, get me out of here. He said, because it was the money. I remember uh, years ago, I can't remember what programme it was, but an impressions programme talking about him saying, every time you think... He's about to reach each a crescendo. I know you've mentioned no, this on this podcast. It doesn't. Well, not for at least a hundred episodes. Yeah, you'll get complaints. And he, he said, used to live next door to my friend James. He, yeah, I know. He said, he said uh, the reason I wanted I'm a celebrity get out of uh, get me out of here is he said I was the kind of war correspondent for the BBC and I you know, adjust for inflation. I got two years worth of salary for doing that for going. I'm a celebrity. Keep, get me out of here and money talks. Well, yes, but shows like I'm a Celebrity, which you can sell millions and millions of pounds worth of advertising into, is one thing. But Who's Line, a show at 11 o'clock on a Channel 4, mm. I, I don't imagine it got more than about two or three million viewers at most. No. Did you enjoy the theme tune? No, I didn't, didn't. And I also didn't enjoy any, any bits <coughs> of Clive Anderson talking at length. I oh, know, I like Clive Anderson. I like Clive Anderson a lot, but I never enjoyed him on Who's Line. Hmm. Have you ever seen the American version when it was presented by Drew Carey? No, that sounds wrong. It was so awkward because Drew Carey would be in the final sketch every week. He would like come on the stage and do a bit himself. That's not appropriate. It was. It always felt really forced and weird. What's Drew Carey doing these days? He presents The Price is Right. Really? He is very, very famous man in America now. Um, yes, he presents The Price is Right. He took over from uh, Nutia Ketz, Pets Man. What's Mike Myers doing these days? Um, I believe probably just rolling around in money. <laughs> I think I the, imagine so. the massive collapse of the love guru, mm. I think, bothered him quite a lot. Yeah, that was a strange misstep. A strangely racist misstep, which was odd. Mm. Very strange. Um, do you know what he was on uh, when he was young? What TV program in the Britain? Yes, you've talked about this on the podcast. Have I really? Whackaday. He was on Wide Awake Club, yes. Not yeah. Wackaday, though. You don't same model, thing. Don't model that it's not the same thing. They're totally different things. I've never been more offended. Well, better come and shoot me then with your Uzi. I'm going to call the Scottish police on you. I'll call them on you first. I'm going to tell my daddy. That's what I was <laughs> basically devolved to. Yeah. Shall we say goodbye to all the lovely audience? Oh, he does Shrek, doesn't he? He's rich from Shrek. He's a Shrek rich. Oh, gosh, apparently there's to be a Shrek 5. Oh, good. Just what I need. I hope you've seen Shrek 4, 3, and, and 3. I have seen Shreks 1 and 2, and they were both awful. I thought it was all right to a degree. No, I couldn't. I could not stand Eddie Murphy's donkey character. Racist. It was a racist character. Exactly. Well, they were, and, and just deeply unfunny. Mm. Although that is Eddie Murphy's role in life now, rather sadly. 
It is sad. Has anyone gone from the, such a peak of comedy to such a depth of comedy as Eddie Murphy? Yes. Uh, Steve Martin, of course. Indeed. Would be the other example, I think. Though, but has anyone else matched them for... I'm trying to think there, there, there is somebody uh, where that is the case. I'm trying to think who they are. Uh, no, the problem is that there's such, such a such blinding light, those two, that it, you, you, you can't ga- gaze at anybody Steve, else. Poor Steve Martin. He keeps taking breaks from, from making films because he recognises how dreadful his films are. He's not mad. Mm. And then he takes a few years off and then he comes back and does something terrible again. So, you know, he takes years off and then comes back and does the remake of The Pink Panther. Why does he do that? I don't know what he... Unless he's just, you know, run out of money to pay for all his mansions. I guess that's the case. It usually is. Usually the answer. But he did come back and do... Funnily enough, he came back and did a film with Eddie Murphy that was absolutely brilliant. What was that film called? Uh, After one of his hiatai. No, that's nonsense. Uh, It's called... I'm remembering rather than looking up. It was called Bolander, I think. Mm, Why was it good? Uh, It's just a very funny film. And Steve Mar- uh, Eddie Murphy even managed to play two characters in it, and it's still, and it still be good. Uh, the, the playing oh, two character on. films are never good, especially when Eddie Murphy is playing. He plays the, the big, the big black mama. Bowfinger. What was the one where he plays all the characters and he plays the the big black mama, and it's really hilarious. I find uh, d- 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 um, I can't remember. Oh uh, yeah, ditto. Oh, yeah, so Bowfinger, Bowfinger was a good a film with him. It was it was kind of a set. It was like Ben Elton and Richard Curtis somehow being able to create Blackadder. Hmm. It was Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy, and they made a good movie. Although, of course, series one of Blackadder wasn't very good. No, series one was it was. Although the first, ep- as we said on the podcast before, the first episode had uh, Peter Cook in it, and it was really good. You know, don't get me started about Peter Cook and your well, idol worshiping. It's a, I'm you're sorry, not allowed, there is... John. You're not. I, I'm not going to allow you to depict Peter Cook in 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 any form. Because <laughs> I think it's gone far enough. Okay, the Nutty Professor. That was where he his. That's where it began. Oh God. Um, and then it happened again in the Nutty Professor Two: The Clumps. Oh yes, the clumps. Oh God, 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 that's so awful. Why do people watch these things? I've never seen either. But I'm... don't forget, it's really Martin Lawrence, you racist, who does the the big mama's house and all that stuff. You racist. He did it as well. Murphy dressed up as a big mama. Um, but he was so he did. Like, he hasn't made that many movies. He's Forty Eight Hours, Trading Places, Best Defense, which I haven't heard of. Beverly Hills Cop, The Golden Child, Beverly Hills Cop Two, Coming to America. I mean, to, just amazing series of movies mm. and then somehow uh, he gets another 48 hours boomerang the distinguished gentleman which i don't know beverly hills cop three oh vampire in brooklyn the nutty professor gosh he's had a lot of uh drug intercessions hasn't he <laughs> who knows yeah. meet dave imagine that a thousand words he was nominated for the golden raspberry award for worst actor for a thousand words that wow. was 2012, and that's the last film he was in. Good heavens. According to, Wiki Pe- according to Wikipedia. <laughs> John, uh, w- 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 Wiki, Wiki. What does w- Wikipedia w- know? W- 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 Remember that Mitch Ben called Charlie Hebdo's murderers gits. Yeah, that's true. That was a good bit of satire right there. <laughs> it was. He's, poor, poor old Mitch Ben, he's subsequently been shot himself for that. 
Someone did get in touch with me to point out that I was wrong that there's no satire because there is Rich Ben. Rich Ben. Mitch Ben. Mitch Ben, who once sang a song about me. But did they did they really point that out, or was that yes, a joke? Yes, I thought it was a joke, and it wasn't a joke. The person who said it is a very lovely man, but on this we disagree. No, but what, what did he say? How was it brought up? Uh, John, you might not have known that, that there is somebody working very hard on Saturday. It was basically, it? apart from Mitch Ben, who writes brilliant satirical songs every week. Where, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Mitch Ben has never offended anybody ever. That's <laughs> not true. He's, only, he's offended you. He's bloody well offended me with the standard of his crap. Oh, he's yeah. not funny. He's a very angry man. He's but he wanted to be a rock legend. He once. Do you remember when he wrote? Got really furious with me because I pointed out that he'd ripped off some "They Might Be Giants" song. Yes, and he said that he'd never. He sang a song that sounded exactly the same as Triangle Man. Mm. And then he said, "I've never even heard of the, that song." Uh, right? Yes, you're a comedy songwriter, and you don't know "They Might Be Giants." Mm. That's that's a realistic argument. Anyway, he claims he didn't copy it, and that's fine. Lots oh, of times, music anyway, sounds yeah. the same. Yeah. But really, why did he care? I mean, I wasn't, you know, of the pathetic level of not quite fame that I have now. I possessed no, none nobody. of it at the time. I said this. No, I, and what was quite amusing is, I think we mentioned before, but it's still quite amusing, is that something was it ten years later or something? ten years later on on the now show the now show. He did, he did a song that referenced you. I know, like really, but really bitterly, like it had stuck in his <laughs> craw. Yes. Oh, dear. I want to read you before we, you... I'm, you're going to be so late for work. Yeah, well, I've I want to read to you now. a comment that someone left on uh, something I wrote on... Uh, a video I recorded for Rock, Paper, Shotgun. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, I'm waiting for my website to work. The hosting on this site is very poor. I think you've got very, very b- bad bandwidth here. Um, let's just fight. It was such a nice comment. Was it? What was it about? Uh, so I rec- it's the video I linked you. I don't know if you watched it, but the video I haven't watched it playing yet. No. Far Cry 4. Shall I watch it? Yes, you should. Anyway, he says, this is the comment. There's a lot, there's a lot of hate in good. response to this good, because good, good. Uh, a lot of people don't like me very much. Well, you're a horrible, horrible, despicable figure. Well, that's a fair point. So yeah. this person, Rakombo, says... Fair shall I point look and convention. see who he actually is? So I see fair what point his, uh, convention. Shall I give out his actual email address that he's hidden? Because I can get at it. Fair point convention. Shall I dox him? Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ, John, you're a retard. Fair, fair, fair comment yeah. so far. Carry yeah. on. How many Let's Plays have you seen that think this is original? All you are doing is taking the worst part of Let's Plays and making it your gimmick. I guess RPS is just slow, seeing as many gaming sites started making their own shitty Let's Plays a while back. Can you not but, use that language, please, John? But I'll have to do it one more time. You'll have to cope. But you have to give it your own shitty RPS hipster spin. Hipster. Bravo, John. You definitely have a winner, if nothing else. It sure fits the image of RPS. You are a bit of a hipster. I'm a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> with, with your beard and your coffee. It's my... Comically large glasses and these pink shoes I insist on wearing. <laughs> you hipster. <laughs> I love that I'm I'm a hipster because I made I recorded a video of my playing Far Cry without doing any of the main quests just to show how much fun it is just to mill around in the world. No, but, but taking him seriously, what? Why is he angry with you? Is there, he thinks that you're being too arch, too meta. You're not taking the game uh, or the medium of expressing the game seriously enough. What? I imagine he's a gamer gator and just. 
saw that I'd done a thing, so he jumped into... No, there is something specific. He doesn't like your attitude. I think you're not taking it seriously. You're not treating it with deference. You are making a point of perhaps self-satirising there, and he doesn't like that. Maybe. But I just want to point out that that's a, you know, it's a particularly banal comment, but you know, it's about as, about as offensive as anything I said about uh, uh, Mr. Mitch Ben. It is. I remember this comic because I read it yesterday. I would argue there's a very slim chance that I'm going to remember it in ten years' time and write a song about it. Oh, there will be. You will have, you will have written a whole opera about this comment. <laughs> you know what you like. You you keep you bear grudges. No, I gra- I, I I grudge bears. Oh, that's true. Because you're a homophobe. <laughs> that's right. Shall we say goodbye to the yes. listener? Finally. We've breached an hour. Bugger off, John. Hmm. See you soon. Hmm.